0: From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told, where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to the conversation. Happy New Year, and welcome to Season 2 of the Financial Recon Podcast. Each year, we all look for ways to start off the year improving. Whether it be going to the gym or signing up for a class, the opportunity to start anew rekindles our spirit to grow. But lately, with all the digital obstacles out there, how are leaders to create such a culture of personal growth? In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Mike Irwin, co-author of Leadership is a Relationship, who taps into his breadth of experience as an Army veteran, the executive director and founder of Team Red, White, and Blue, CEO of the Character Center and co-founder of the Positivity Project to share lessons on how leaders can put people first in the digital world. All right, Mike, thanks a lot for joining us today on the Financial Recon Podcast. I'm really uh, stoked to have you on board for this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm pumped up. Looking forward to the conversation. Nice. Well, you know, your book, Leadership is a Relationship, it really caught my eye a couple of weeks ago because it's something that I've been really focused in on is how experiences and relationships are kind of impacting businesses that we want to either invest in or are leading the way out there. I kind of want to just start off with you're a military guy. What was an example in your military career that has showcased the traits of leadership, like you've uh, described in the the book.
1: Yeah. So maybe it's kind of just starting back from, kind of from the beginning, you know, uh, like a lot of people I've heard of the word leadership, you know, growing up. uh, But when I went to West point, like leadership is just, boom, it's like everywhere. It's all, it's all day, every day. You know, they're really trying to develop leaders of character for the nation's army. Um, And so, you know that's when I really started to become probably kind of for the first time I would say a student of leadership, and um, you know at the time like you think about it and you try to simplify like this idea of leadership because it is very complex, and that's what we as human beings do things that are very very complex we try to simplify them and give ourselves an ability to better understand it, and so that was me, you know like I think a lot of young lieutenants in the army is hey I take care of my troops uh, you know and uh, I get the mission done. Then, like, that's that's the big thing. I lead by example, right? I don't want to, you know, make my soldiers do something that you know I'm not willing to do myself. And so we kind of boil it down. And and so, really, the bigger, the, the deeper I got into exploring and, and digging into what leadership is, the, the faster I realized that it's actually very complex, and there's so many different things that matter. And so in grad school, I studied leadership from the perspective of all the different you know, it was called the great man theory, uh, you know, and then, you know, really focused in on the followers. Hey, it's really about, you know, understanding who the who the followers are. And mm-hmm. then it's the idea of the relationship between the leaders and the followers. And and you start really looking at all these different angles and how to unpack leadership, and it'll make your head spin. Uh, you know, so <laughs> the bottom line, going back to your question is, you know, I saw so many examples of both good and bad leadership in the military. Uh, And I'm I'm sure you're the same as you think about your own experience. And, you know, for me, one of the commonalities that I found, uh, you know, was leaders that when they talk to you, they made you feel like, hey, this is the most important person in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And they would they would hone in and they would be paying attention to what you're saying and they would ask thoughtful questions. They would get to know you beyond just, oh, hey, that's that's Captain Irwin or that's Lieutenant Irwin. They would get to know more about you. Uh, and so, across the infantry and special forces units that I had the honor of supporting as an intelligence officer, you know, really there was there was two commanders that were exceptional, and uh, and really that is the, the common ground that I saw between them.
0: Awesome, I know exactly what you mean because we had pilots, that, you know, being enlisted, the pilots who, you know, like I remember graduating Airman Leadership School, and they were out that night and they ran into me, and you know, they 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 knew me. And I would do anything for them and they would do anything for me. And that, that relationship is just so powerful. Do you think that's why I know you were an officer. Do you think that's why the older enlisted, like they tell the younger officers, listen, listen to the older enlisted because they have that relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's so
1: much that you learn in life as you get older. Mm And I think Perhaps the most valuable thing that I've learned as I've gotten older, um, you know, is how to better manage and better navigate the complexities of my relationships. I mean, the complexities never go away. Right. Um, Probably between now until you go to Sod City. You know what I mean? Like you're fortunate to live into your 80s and you have this full life. Like I'm sure there's going to be leadership friction, relationship friction um, until like the day you die. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and ultimately what we know from the positive psychology research is that the quality of your relationships with family, friends, teammates, coworkers, number one driver of life satisfaction. So the relationships are so important. At the same time, they're so hard. There's, right. there's no relationship pill. There's no, just follow these three steps and you're going to be good. Um, I mean, there's no follow these 25 steps and, and your relationships <laughs> are going to be good. I mean, they are, they are deeply complex and, uh, especially in the information age, right when you can see so much about what other people are doing, hey, why wasn't I invited there? why did they why did they make that decision but they didn't ask for my input like why why why, why right? And so my point is that relationships are very, very complex and as you get older, I think you get you just get more reps and you make lots of mistakes like every week, every day, uh, mm-hmm. certainly every year in your relationships and hopefully you learn from them and that's I think often you know one of the greatest, Ways that whether you're a non commissioned officer or an officer and you're in your 30s, and here's this 23 year old lieutenant, um, or in the business world or in whatever, uh, it's, it's really less about the experience of the job and it's more about the experience of life, where people who are older have a, a lot more wisdom than those uh,
0: who are younger. And so, would you say that's what prompted you to write this book?
1: So, I started out when I was in grad school, 2009 to 2011. And, and that's actually when I started writing both of my books. Um, and I'm a co-author I, I, on both books. I find mm-hmm. people to work with because um, like I find tremendous value and joy in doing something really meaningful and, and, and lifting something very heavy with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but started to really write the book. Um, I, the, the impetus for it was... I actually studied uh, there's a book you know called Leadership as a Relationship" by Misha Popper. Misha Popper mm-hmm. used to be in the Israeli Defense Force and he wrote this book and he analyzed like the relationship you know between Gandhi and Mandela and all these like leaders and the people who followed them. and they really analyzed how important the relationship was. again very different than like what I'm talking about with like a family member or a friend. But that was right. the initial idea of, geez, how important are relationships to leadership? Um, and it really, really got me thinking. And that was really what kickstarted uh, the whole project. But that was way back in 2010. And I wrote an 8-page, 10-page graduation uh, grad school thesis uh, paper on it. Um, and it kind of sat there for a long time as I worked on Lead, Lead Yourself First with uh, Judge Ray Keffledge. And after that, people kept on saying, hey, you're going to write another book. I'm like, nah. That was, <laughs> oh, man one, one book that was enough had something really, I think, important to say about the topic that I was very convicted on. Um, and then it just kept on coming back and back of like, geez, I really need to speak on and, and write on and contribute to the conversation about how important relationships are to the art of leadership.
0: Absolutely. One thing that really like jumped out at me is because you know, we've had Dr. Brad Klontz on the show before, and he, sp- he speaks a lot about behavioral finance, financial psychology, and all of that stems from relationships, mm-hmm. the how, how one relationship can pivot so much with it, finance or leadership or what have you, just the intersection of all these disciplines yep, is just amazing. It's fascinating. Yeah. And, yeah. and you made a great quote, or there was a great quote in the book that I feel like is uh, so appropriate in this day and age. Relationships are under siege. Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah.
1: So I, when I've led leadership seminars, Mike, in the past, uh, I, I actually have people grapple with this question, and I say, "Here's the phrase, which is the title of our of our introduction, you know, mm-hmm. Chapter One: Relationships Under Siege." I said, "Do you agree, or am I being dramatic?" You know, and, then I, <laughs> and I and I have people debate it out, um, and it's interesting. Usually, people come back. Usually, I mean, as in like four out of five come back and say they agree with that phrase, usually about one out of five people say that, Hey, that's, that's over the top. Um, so I do agree that if you make technology work for you, it can actually strengthen your relationships. So when I'm on the road, I can do a FaceTime video or I can you know take a video and say goodnight to my kids and send There's all right. kinds of things that I can do to help my relationships. I, I think that, I don't know, I'm going to say nine out of 10 people, don't... It's the opposite. That they are controlled by technology. They are controlled by the information age. And controlled meaning as in they respond to it all day long to include when they're in the presence of other people. Right. And this is the fundamental thing that we push on and why I believe relationships are under siege is that the distractions through our phones and through our devices in the information age makes it so much more difficult to connect with the person in front of you. And I'm not just talking about like when they're in the same room as you. Although we go out to dinner and we'll see couples or friends where people are sitting there and then they're on their phone. No, I'm
0: guilty of it. I mean,
1: <laughs> I think a lot of us are, right? Yeah. Like, you know, when we do this, like my big thing is I don't even bring my phone into the restaurant. When I go out to dinner with my wife, you know, every uh, month or so we go out to dinner, I don't mm-hmm. bring it in, right? Um, but the same thing, if you're talking, you know, you, you know, to a teammate or someone who works for you, if you're on your computer or you're half paying attention and you're scrolling on your phone, I mean, what kind of message does that send to the right. person who's, who's looking for your time, looking for your insight, wanting to brief you up on something uh, they're, they're not really paying attention, right? right. And so like, I think we, we have to be very intentional. We've got to be deliberate about separating ourselves from our distractions and 90% of those distractions are our phone. But to be clear, it's our desktop computer or our laptop, you know, when we're at work and we're doing zoom meetings, this is not just applied to people when you're in the same geographical space. Right. When, you're, when you're on a meeting, I can't tell you the number of people who are on a meeting and very clearly, right? Um, like they're on like ESPN.com or they're on like the reading some article somewhere else because right. someone will make a joke and about half of the Zoom will be like ha, ha. They'll be <laughs> laughing it up. And the other half are like, oh, shoot, I missed something. <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> like they come in on the back end of, and knowing like, that. oh, geez, what was just said that was so funny because they weren't even paying attention. Um, so for me, I recommend to people like when I, when I'm on my meetings, a lot of times my hands are up in the air. Like I'm here, I'm showing you like that, you know, that I'm not down here doing something else, Right. you know? Um, and that's an intentional signal that I send to people that says like, look, I am I'm paying attention when I talk with my hands, whatever it is so that you know that I'm fully present.
0: So this is one of the good times being from New Jersey, talking with your hands. That's right.
1: (laughs) Or being a high energy person, you know, New Jersey, upstate New York, and you talk with your hands, like. But but you can't be right if you're talking like this and you're engaged or you're like this or you know you're like this or you're set back from the computer and you, and you can see right but right. If, if you're anywhere within striking distance like you and I are right now within a keyboard people mm-hmm. are going to assume that you're you know putting around on your keyboard you're going yep. to another website you're answering an email you're half paying attention right and so that is why this this idea of of relation you know relationships under siege. Um, is I think such an important topic and conversation to start is that we are less connected from the people, be they right in front of us, um, be they in our personal lives or our professional lives, when we're talking to people on Zoom, whatever it might be very often, all the distractions make it really hard to focus on that person.
0: So uh, I I just, I I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. No, no, go ahead. Uh, Just something that just popped into my head though, is, you know, I just read and I can't remember the source, but like they said, uh office spaces are gonna be, you know, I, I want to say it was like in New York, it was like they're talking about twenty something percent declines. I mean, do you think that is gonna continue because yeah. the relationships are under siege? Or you lose that office experience. Yeah, a lot of people are a lot of people
1: are waxing poetic on this right now. They're Uh, And look, just like, you know, if, if if I, if I invested five grand in Amazon back in 1998 or whatever it was (laughs) Uh, like, people can't see the future. They might think they can. um, And you might be able to tell in the future, Hey, like we know self-driving cars are coming, right. Mm -hmm. It's very slowly been creeping in, but is there going to be this, like all of a sudden this tidal wave of it? Probably not, you know, uh, maybe, but, but we don't know. Like, so my point is when it comes down to this is like, there's I think you know, some forecasting that people can do um, about like the in-person hybrid, all virtual. Different people are doing different things, different companies, different organizations. Some are go all chips are in on, on the fully remote, fully virtual. Right. right. And other people are, are very much like, nope, come back to the office. And others are trying the hybrid. So you know, I don't uh I'm not i am not going to sit here and tell you the pound on the table and tell you that I that I know the answer. Cause if I did, um, <laughs> you know, like I'd be uh, have a lot more money than I do. So um, but I do think that it is a, a question that a lot of people are grappling with right now. And they're really trying to figure it out. Um, what is the value of the in-person work experience? Right. Um, you know, and, and I think that when you think about building trust, when you think about establishing relationships, it is a lot more difficult to do those things in a remote work environment, in a virtual environment, um, especially now, you you add on to that the complexity of turnover, and you got right. thirty or forty new percent of your workforce. You know, in a year, perhaps might be new. Whether the, whether you're growing and you're adding new people, or whether you know there's turnover because mm-hmm. people are leaving. I mean, how do you get to know people if you never like shook their hand in person, looked them in the eye, you know, fist bumped, had a coffee, you know, gone for a run together, like all these things, like the magic of life, the three dimensional right. space uh, that you, and you haven't done that. I think it's really hard to build a strong emotional connection,
0: you know? Yeah. Adam Grant, I know he wrote a, was a forward on your uh, book or what have you. And he, on his podcast, he had that one time uh, on his podcast work life about how uh, there's one leader who will uh, with their business, they'll have people get up and do a presentation and the rules were nothing about business. It had to be about their like pictures about their family, their dog, just to build those relationships. And I thought that was awesome. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. We talk about this in the book a lot, you know, how, you know, with some suggested questions and, you know, uh, things like that. But yeah, the emphasis has got to be, you've got to get to know people beyond just their job title. Mm -hmm. Now, the complexity is that some people are very um, private. Uh, they, They don't. Uh, share very much um, on social media uh, or just in conversation about them. They view their private life as their private life. You know, their right. personal life is not something that they, that they talk about. That is uh, fewer and fewer people um, for sure in the world today, where sharing some of your story and talking about some things and, and sharing pictures of family and things like that. And, and family vacation trips that you take to Disney world, et cetera, on social media, that's becoming more of the social norm, Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and almost the expectation that you would share some of these things, um, you know, with other people that makes you more human, that allows people to find common ground with you. Um, so I, I, do think that, that there's still some people who are hesitant, but not many, I think increasingly more and more people, you know, uh, are, are willing to share, you know, about their personal life. And I agree oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's important, like to be able to, you know, to be able to do that. Cause if I'm a leader, if I get to know you beyond just your job title and your job description and the work that you do for me, and I get to know more about you as a human being. and I connect with you on a human being level that, that really helps. That helps to, to
0: deepen the relationship. Speaking of like with, you know, getting deeper, there is the threat out there of AI. How are employees and like, how's this whole dynamic work where people can almost AI proof themselves?
1: Yeah. So, so when you start thinking about AI, Um, you know, it's a uh so one, there are some people who are who are cutting edge in this field and like they're super, super smart. Oh yeah. Uh, there's (laughs) the rest of us to kind of like talk about it like big hand, little nap. And um, you know, that being said, when you think about uh AI, computers, machine learning, etc., the bottom line is what, what most people are suggesting is that if a computer or an algorithm or a machine can do your job. Eventually, it will. Right. right, and so this means even lawyers that write, you know, contracts, like um, optometrists that look at eyes, uh, you know, that there's lots of jobs that, that that eventually machines will be able to do. And oh, by the way, better, faster, and without sleep. Right, right. They they won't, they won't need to sleep, right? Because machines, um, just like our computers, can just work, you know, pretty much twenty four seven. So, um, what cannot? What can machines, computers, robots, and even like? that people are trying to build like robots that are as close to human beings as possible. (laughs) Bullshit, you know, like not going to happen. Uh, uh, how can it, you know? Um, so to to your, to your point about, you know, AI proofing yourself, the big, the big thing becomes the jobs of the future that have a high probability of existing are going to be the ones that can't be automated, that can't be done by a machine. And what are those? Those are ones that require the human skills. Um, this is empathy. This is caring. This is, um, you know, negotiations and persuasive conversation. These are things that computers can't do that humans can. Right. right? And so to work on those skills, uh, to build relationships, uh, like if, if you've ever seen the video of like the computer, when it beat like the, the person in chess, mm-hmm. you know, the computer, the computer goes, all right, I won. <laughs> and It's like, there's no emotion. There's no high five. There's no hug. There's no tears of joy. It's just very like bland. I won. Right. right. Um, You know? So, so as long as that's the reality, the skills to invest in, to be ready for the, you know, the economy of the future, the world of the future, are the human skills and there's no arguably no more important human skill than connecting with others and building relationships.
0: I, I agree with you. Our industry, the financial industry, there's been a lot of talk about robo advisors and this and that. But I've always said you're never going to replace a person because when someone's on the other end of the phone and the market's plummeting like a free fall, mm-hmm. they want someone there to to understand, the to care, to, to get not get that, well, this is the you know, the Hal 3000 response, right? Yeah. I totally, I totally agree with that. So thinking of things, do you think that businesses of the world are going to adopt more relationship based learning models and thrive in the next decade versus those who don't?
1: (laughs) Oh man, that's a, that's a good one. You know, um, you know, I don't know. So I can maybe kind of break this down into a bit of a microcosm. Sure. Uh, I, there's a fundamental question at the grocery store. You know, do you do you invest in self checkout machines, or do you invest in paying people hourly money right to mm-hmm. check people out? And I think that this this question exists in most fields. It you know. Uh, should we automate right, and spend the money right. now more money now, but then not have all the fixed, uh, the fixed, you know, uh, human resource capital of paying people. And not just that, but also all of it, like the complexities, right. of it, when they, they have a bad day. What happens when they're sick? What happens, you know, when you have to fire somebody like all of that um, versus the machine that just sits there and, and scans, you know, barcode after barcode and accepts your credit card. Um, <laughs> so So uh, the bottom line is, I I, I think this is, to me, this is not, uh, this is not a fork in the road. You either must, this is not binary A or B, right? Automation and technology or people. Um, But I do think people can choose A or B. I think a lot more people will choose B, Mm -hmm. uh, the technology, the AI, the machine learning road, um, and they will go that way almost all in. Mm -hmm. And... To those that do, my view on that is that that's a uh, high-risk, high-reward potential payoff um, by investing in computers and machines. Because I do think that a percentage of people really, really do want to still have that in-person human interaction. I like going to the grocery store. I will go use the self-checkout aisle if like, I've got like a deadline, I got to pick my kids up from the gym at five o'clock and it's four 55 right now. And I got to like go. And the line is 3d. So the, the problem is like lots of the stores now, they only have at times like two or three people checking you out, right. almost forcing you into like the, the machine route, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, but I will still wait and time and otherwise wait, uh, to be able to have an experience there with another human being, you know? So I, uh, what concerns me, Mike, is that we continue to engineer human to human interactions out of life. And so go back to your question of like, I do think a lot of people are gonna are gonna bet heavy on the technology side of it, on the AI, on the metaverse, on on all that stuff, on the self-driving cars. And and I respect that's like a course of action for me. Um like I know this, the the research about how you can be as successful as you want over here with all the AI and the tech and the metaverse. If you don't have meaningful relationships in your in your life and your you know with your family, your friends, and your coworkers, mm-hmm. uh, your well being will not thrive, no matter how successful you are, or how much money you make. So, um, to me, like I think it's not just a question of what will be the most optimal; it's a question of your organizational culture, and you know, does your organizational culture still really? push and create and value those those human to human interactions Um, even though they are going to be messier they are going to be many times less efficient they are still going to be something that, that a certain percentage of people who think that that is the magic sauce of life are going to want
0: we said about disney earlier there's a perfect example that they've just introduced this new program called genie and it's to take people using ai to guide them around the parks free up resources, so forth. Will that create the same experience? Will that create the same brand loyalty, affinity and relationships it will be an interesting story, I think, and something I get to think we'll have to watch here in the yeah, coming, totally. c- coming and years. Every
1: company is looking at this and, and we'll be watching it again. If you're, again, there's no
0: magic eight ball here, right? Or, you
1: know, right, you know right, right. crystal ball. But like, I, as I'm looking into the one that I have, you know, that is, no better than anyone else's, but I'm trying to (laughs) forecast the future. Like I'm on the side of, you know what? I might be less, I might be a little less efficient than you, you know, with whatever organizational culture I set that's really people centered, that's relationship based, but I'll take that over one that's more efficient that lacks the soul, right. That lacks that, that humanity uh, aspect, which that's, that's my bet.
0: Which, which leads right into my next question is about loyalty, Right in the book, you talk about how loyalty grows over stretches of time. And, you know, personally, I've seen that working, uh, with my clients and so forth. One of the biggest headwinds though, that people face is there's a lot of external factors pushing back on that model to build that loyalty. Mm-hmm. So how, how does one kind of push back on the external factors to keep focus to build that core loyalty?
1: Yeah, I mean, you touched on a very important idea there—that loyalty is something that takes time to build. Mm-hmm. And the hard part is, in our world, we've been conditioned to really be this instant gratification, right? I ordered it right. and it shows up the next day, or I want this now, and that that mindset runs very counter to to loyalty, building mm-hmm. out that long term sense of obligation and, and duty and and support to somebody. So. Uh, I think that, you know, one of the things that, that is just a reality in the world today is uh, there's... Think about the growth of the job industry, like LinkedIn and headhunting you know, companies and talent, you know, talent search, talent search firms, all of it. like There's all these economic models now based around trying to essentially pick talent away from one place or one company or one firm and put it somewhere else. And they get paid for it, right? You know, whether they is the automation of like, you know, the the software like the LinkedIn software or whatever software that has been used to make it happen or the human beings that had the conversations that brokered the deal. But there's a lot of effort being put into trying to find people, um, you know, uh, the right people to go to new jobs, new roles. And so mm-hmm. if you're going to get paid significantly more money, like that's a that's a that's a the first question that people have to grapple with. But regardless of compensation, it's you know are you happy with the people that you work with? Because if you are, if you got strong relationships with the people on your team, the people that you lead, the people who lead you. Uh, I generally say the feedback that I receive from people is there. It's going to take a lot of money to to, to push them, you know, uh, beyond loyalty to, to leave. Oh yeah, it, it takes a big amount of money to make them because they know that hey, this is great. I like the people that I'm spending time with working on projects with i like i genuinely like them and have a have a good relationship with them and they know you don't get that everywhere and so Mm -hmm. to go somewhere new for more money if you don't have the relationships and you don't have the sense of purpose in your new role that you did like don't kid yourself there is a very high economic value oh uh,
0: absolutely yeah and i think sometimes you know that's one of those things we all have to get kind of like checked sometimes to be reminded of that that huge value of hey this is pretty good like yep. I I you can't quantify this but it, it's all right. That's right. So with COVID, right, mental health is just taking mm. a whole whole new priority in folks' lives. Yep. You know something you touched on in the book is that prior to COVID, 61% of Americans describe themselves as being lonely. Yeah. So how do leaders in this this new world? How do they continue to build those relationships to to try to minimize <laughs> their team members from falling into that statistic?
1: Yeah, this is especially hard with remote work, and when you can't see people, they can sit there and they can put on their best face, or sometimes you know whatever, be on a meeting and not have their video on if it's been oh, it's been a bad morning. I don't want to uh, you know. Versus when you see someone in the office, there's no hiding. Right. how they're looking. If you look at that, see that sunken look in their eyes or you see them look exhausted or just drained. Uh, so I think that you know the reality around loneliness is it, it is an epidemic in America. Uh, it is responsible for all kinds of self-harm and, and negative behaviors and alcohol and drug abuse and uh, relationships, uh, friction. I mean, uh, the isolation that so many people feel causes so much uh, early, early death in the form of suicide, in the form of, you know, heart disease, and you name it. Uh, it is it is an ugly, ugly thing, uh, isolation. And yet, uh, in many ways, it's inevitable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the way that we've been, you know, and this is my concern about the virtual world. And 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 again, I think technology is, I think the, the virtual world has got so much, you know, good stuff to offer. But that's my concern, you know, that, that you'll have, you know, in 10, 15 years from now, people not leaving their house. So they'll be interacting, you know, with nobody in real life. Uh, they'll be in their apartment, they'll be in their house with a VR headset on, uh, feeling like, quote unquote, they're at the game or they're at the concert, uh, but, but not actually high fiving and in, you know, or experiencing life in person. And I think there's a real threat there. And I don't want to be. I'm not like, oh, the sky is falling, Chicken Little. I'm, I'm not that guy. But I, I am trying to have this conversation. I'm going on record in 2021 so that when it's 2030, you can kind of look back and 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 say, geez, well, either Irwin was crazy or he was really onto something. I think that you know, I'm gonna. I'm not the only one talking about this, but I don't think that enough people are having this conversation right now. How are they going to respond as uh, virtual reality headsets become as much the norm? in 10 or 15 years from now as cell phones and smartphones are today. Remember, Mike, it was only 10, 11 years ago. The iPhone just came out and all it was, was a phone and an iPod. Right. Right. Like it, it's been in one decade, less than one decade, we've gone f- from where like you had to be logged in to check your email and social media was like, like this barely a thing. And like, and, and now here we are 2021 and like the world is fundamentally different for, <laughs> for majority of people. So, back so that's your question around loneliness is I think that like the world will get increasingly lonely, increased, you know, challenges around mental health, et cetera, for, for, you know, if we see a lot of society move more into this virtual digital world, uh, the metaverse, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I don't think it's all bad. I think there's like plenty of good, oh, things yeah, yeah. Come from it, you know, but it, it's finding a balance. And the reality is a lot of people don't find that balance and they will isolate more and they will have more problems and, and more challenges on the mental health front.
0: You know, that's one of my concerns for my kids is that like they're the, the COVID generation totally. and it's, you know, getting them to continue to go out and play and do these things, have these face-to-face interactions because we all went into our, you know, private residences. And your point is going to be, we're going to say, yeah, 2030, 20, 2030. 20, And that's why I think it's also that much more important. We get the kids out there socializing and doing these different things to kind of ward off the potential for the loneliness down the road. Yeah, totally. Do you think that, you know, the innovations of tomorrow are going to be developed in these companies that, you know, create psychological safe zones?
1: So yeah, so psychological safety sounds interesting, right? So this idea of like how do people feel valued, how do they feel welcome, how do they feel they bring their best selves to the, you know to work. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of factors that contribute to innovation and that will contribute to innovation mm-hmm. moving forward. Uh, I'm a big believer that that relationships, go figure, uh, <laughs> are are very important to innovation. Um, when you know the people around you you uh, they're not going to judge you for coming up with a crazy idea because the reality is a lot of innovation sounds crazy like what you're going to do that you know like a lot of innovation sounds like um a pipe dream and so like i think it's really important to be aware of that you know and so i would suggest that a key component of innovation sure is like you know psychological safety of being people being able to create and to get involved in higher level of thinking and not be afraid of how people are going to judge them. No doubt. Uh, I think that's also, you know, somewhat related to the concept of of relationships and do, you know, the people that you're working with, do you know, these people, Mm -hmm. do you really know them or are they just like, you know, employee, A, B, C, and D.
0: And how much of that did you experience like being deployed with these special forces and so forth?
1: Oh, I mean, like when you think about innovation and, um, you know when you're deployed, especially. So I was the intelligence officer in support of Green Berets. They're some of the most innovative, creative people you you could ever meet. I mean, they come up with solutions. A <laughs> problem, you know, there's problems, and guess what? You, you know, you're you're outmanned and you're outgunned and you're under resourced How do you make it happen? You right. better come up with a creative solution and think outside the box. And so, so much of, of what they did was solving problems through creativity and through innovation. And, and again, those teams super tight knit. Twelve, you know, twelve men. You know, on a special forces operational detachment with maybe some additional, uh, you know, uh, enablers with them on the intelligence and or signals front and, and, and logistics. But they were very, very, very close. And because of that, that would allow them to be able to come up with these creative and innovative solutions pretty much uh, as well as just about any organization that I've ever seen.
0: And then all tied to relationships.
1: Yeah, and so much of this keeps coming back to right. the power of the relationships you know, with each other because that sets the conditions for them to be able to have conversations uh, and come up with outside-the-box solutions that, again, otherwise they might not have been willing to share if they didn't know how people on their team would respond to them.
0: I have a, a couple of those instances myself, I think, in my head. And I'm just like, you know, thankfully for collaboration, we were able to come up with some thing that you never yeah. would have thought me would have made the difference, but it got the mission mission done. This goes back to something uh, we've talked about in the past about just even hiring veterans, right? Veterans know how to get the uh, job done. Yeah, so, totally one of the things with the new year right around the corner. Yep. What is like the first step? Someone listening can implement these lessons of Putting leadership in a relationship together.
1: Yeah, so I think you know, whole new, new year, new you. Right, the whole time (laughs) you kind of spend some time really slowing down and thinking about what are some of the the changes you can make in your life. When it comes down to the idea of relationships, you know, there is there's an almost a never ending um, a list of things that you can do to strengthen relationships. you know, there's just so much that goes into it. So I, I would say a couple of key places to start. You know, First and foremost is uh, being focused. Being focused on the people in front of you. So this starts with coming up with a strategy of turning off the television, of turning off the iPad, of turning your phone off or putting it in a drawer away from you as a starting place. Then also even sometimes putting down the book, putting down the newspaper, whatever it might be. But how can you be as focused as possible on the person in front of you. Now, does that mean uh, if you're going to be around those same people for like five days in a row, does it mean that you need to be completely focused on that one person or those couple of people the whole time? No, it just means like, you've got to make sure that there's a good uh, proportion or a good amount of focus that you're putting on that person or those people, you know, be it your family, friends, or, you know, people that you work with or who work for you. Uh, That is by far like in the world today, the, the most important thing. The other thing I would say, you know, is, you know, when you think about, you know, like how to be a good friend, how to be a good teammate, uh, it's as often as possible thinking of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a lot easier said than done. But how do you think of other people? You know, when they've had a bad day, you know, are, are you are you there for them when they've done something great or achieved something? Do you do you celebrate them? Do you lift them up? Uh, again, it's very human of us to get jealous of somebody who's accomplished something great. And, you know, can, you, can you do the opposite of that? Can you really truly be happy for that person and celebrate them? Um, can, in other words, can you be a people builder? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the last thing I would say is just the idea that, you know, are you looking for the good in other people? Or again, very human of us, looking for their flaws, their weaknesses, or their shortcomings. And while it's natural for us to do the latter, uh, I think it's really important to work hard at trying to see the good And other people, every person has gotten good to them, different Mm -hmm. amounts for sure, different uh, aspects, but you have to seek it out. And when you see the good in people and you let them know it, number one, that feels good to them, you know, and to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But beyond that, like it really helps them uh, to to feel a connection with you and say, wow, like this is really appreciated. (laughs) You know, someone has seen some good in me. And so I think whether it's our family, again, friends, coworkers, whatever it is, I think we really want to work hard to see the good in them and let them know that we see the good in them, uh, so that they they know that you know that we observe it.
0: That's awesome advice as always. Well, Mike, thanks a lot for joining me. The book again is "Leadership is a Relationship," and uh, how can folks follow along with uh, your work? So I'm
1: on Instagram and Twitter at Irwin R W B. So E R W I N. RWB and um, on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, the easiest way is probably to dig into those two books, Lead Yourself First and Leadership is Relationship, both books uh, that I've had the honor to work on and to co author. They really kind of unpack not just other people's story, but each book unpacks a little bit of my own.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks a lot.
1: Hey, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it.
0: Appearances do not constitute endorsement of Flagship Wealth Management Group, LPL Financial, the Pinnacle Financial Group, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member, FINRA, SIPIC. Investment advice offered through the Pinnacle Financial Group, a registered investment advisor, and separate entity from LPL Financial. The opinions voiced are for general information only. They're not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Mike Irwin is not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Flagship Wealth Management Group, or the Pinnacle Financial Group.